If I might add one thing to what Pastor Josh mentioned earlier, uh, in, in asking for you to prayerfully consider sponsorships, um, we, are, we are prayerfully considering this for several of our own uh, from our congregation here. There are a couple of families um, with uh, specific needs in different circumstances, and so this is not just a, a general call for, for sponsorships or whatever. Uh, this is regarding a, a couple of our own um, that we would love to see the Lord uh, bridge that gap for um, and uh, make that a reality again this year. Well, we're going to look tonight at Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 31 and 32 tonight. As Brother Charles said, we are going to finish our study through the one another's given to the local church. So, so far, uh, we've looked at love one another. By the way, we could have just stopped there uh, because every other one of these flows from love one another. If we love one another, we're going to prefer one another. If we love one another, we're going to pray for one another. If we love one another, we're going to build up one another. If we love one another, we're going to forgive one another. And so, by the way, whenever church gets too confusing, just go back to that one and just simplify it and love one another. As Christ has loved us. Amen? We've looked at love one another. We've looked at prefer one another. We've looked at bear one another's burdens. Uh, by Pastor Josh's request, we looked at greet one another with a holy kiss. Uh, we've looked at pray for one another. We've looked at edify one another. On Wednesday night, we talked about just get along with one another. And quite honestly, this thing of church, people want to make it real complicated. But if you just keep it biblical, it's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. And so understanding God has designed the church and God has told us in his word how we ought to function with one another in order for this thing called church to be the blessing he intends for it to be in our lives. And so tonight we're going to look at one more. And here we probably find one of the simplest one another's to understand, yet one of the toughest one another's to consistently and completely do. Honestly, since we announced this, there may have even been some in this room who have been dreading this sermon since the series was announced. Some, when the title was given and the text was read, perhaps even shut down already in their heart. And I, I say that with the realization that this world we live in and the people we live with are capable of inflicting great hurt in our lives. And the reality is when hurt takes hold, it's really easy to end up places you never thought were possible. I've had people look at me and say, Pastor, honestly, I don't want to forgive. Having gone what I've gone through, I don't want to forgive that person. I'm going to tell you, that's a place that if you've not been hurt like that, you might not understand how a feeling like that would be possible. But when we let hurt take hold, sometimes it's easy to end up places that we never intended to go. I've had Christians look at me and say, Preacher, I want to forgive, but I've tried and I just don't believe it's possible. This world and the people in it are capable of inflicting great hurt. But let's be honest. The church and the people in the church are also capable of inflicting great hurt. 
And church hurt is really hard. But I think if we're being honest about all these other things, we also have to be honest about what the Bible says. And we have to be honest about Christ's clear call to forgive. The Bible is clear. As Christians, we are to forgive one another. By the way, the command to forgive extends beyond the walls of the church house. It extends to everybody we meet in every situation we face. We, as Christians, are called to forgive, period. And what we have to embrace tonight is that, yes, life is hard, and yes, people hurt us. But as hard as it can be, Jesus never calls us to do something that he won't give us the grace to do. And so if he has told us to forgive, he will enable us to forgive. And so we're going to look tonight at this thought of forgiving one another from Ephesians chapter 4. First of all, I want to define what forgiveness is. It's good for us to work with a definition of terms. And so forgiveness, for our definition tonight, forgiveness is simply uh, releasing or letting go of our right to execute judgment. It is a releasing, a letting go of our right to execute judgment or demand retribution from. In other words, I I am letting go. I'm letting go. And that is what each of us are called to do with the hurts that we receive in this life. Let's look at how God teaches us to do that here in Ephesians chapter 4. Look with me at verse number 31. I want you to read it in unison. The Bible says this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. I want you to note, number one tonight, our present reality. And we've kind of touched on this a little bit. The Bible here really presupposes that offenses will come. Why do we struggle with things like bitterness? Why do we struggle with things like anger and wrath and hatred and evil speaking? Why do we struggle with these things? Well, it's not because life is good. It's not because that everyone I meet just pours so much goodness into my life that I just can't contain it, so I get mad about it. That's not it. Why do we struggle with bitterness, anger, wrath, hatred, evil speaking? Why? Because of the wrongs we experience. Because of the wrongs we perceive in this life. The reality is people plus personalities produce problems. And the thing about a church is it's full of people. And people always bring with it their personalities. And therefore, we're going to face what? Problems. By the way, even if you isolate, you're still stuck with yourself. And so you're not going to be able to escape it. I think to make matters worse for us, we live in a day of perpetual offense. We live in a day and age where people honestly take pride in their ability to be offended by things. It's amazing what people are able to be offended by. It's, but they take pride in it. But all of that aside, we've all experienced when people say things that they shouldn't or when people don't say things that they should. We've all experienced when people have done things they shouldn't or didn't do things 
that they should have. And the reality is all of us are familiar with the emotions that result that we see listed in verse number 31. All of us in this room are familiar with the concept of bitterness, of wrath, of anger, of malice. Because these are our fleshly responses to the hurts that we receive in this life. So here's how it goes. Wrongs, be they real or perceived, lead to hurts. Hurts lead to anger. Anger leads to burdens, to baggage, and to bitterness. The reality is, I love how James says it in James 1 and verse number 20, that the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And so when I allow those hurts to fester, when I hold on to them, when I look to execute judgment or demand retribution, and I hold on to that, and I allow that baggage and bitterness and anger and wrath to well up in my heart, guess what it doesn't do? It doesn't work the righteousness of God in my life. And that's a problem. Because bitterness, unforgiveness, is a sin. And sin always destroys. James 1 and verse 15 reminds us that lust, when it's conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, brings forth You know, the scriptures in several places, they remind us of some of the destructive consequences of of different sins when they're allowed into our lives. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 14, Jesus says this, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Verse 15, I'm not sure if I gave you that one or not, it tells us the, uh, the inverse of that. That if we don't forgive men their trespasses, that God won't forgive us either. In other words, when we choose to not forgive, we are choosing to have a disjointed relationship with God. You cannot be right with God when you are choosing to be bitter against another. So what happens? We, we, We end up with a disjointed relationship from God. You know what happens when we keep in, when we hold on to sin? Well, Psalm 66 and verse number 18 tells me this. Psalm 66, if I regard iniquity or I keep sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And so if I knowingly hold on to sin, what's going to happen? Well, I'm going to end up with a disjointed relationship with God. But I'm also going to end up with dismissed requests by God. I'm going to pray, but if I knowingly keep iniquity in my heart, guess what? The Lord will not hear me. So I'm going to live with a disjointed relationship with God. I'm going to live with dismissed requests by God. I'm going to live with a discouraged reality apart from God. David, when he was recounting his life, when when he had not gotten his sin right, he says this in Psalm 32, beginning in verse number 1, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. But look at this in verse number 3. David said, When I kept silence... Now, David's sin was adultery and murder. But perhaps your sin is bitterness and unforgiveness. And boy, that's a silent sin, one we keep way down. David said, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. 
You see, bitterness is, somebody has, somebody has well likened it to a poison. It's the poison that you choose to drink, hoping that it kills the other. Bitterness is sin, and sin brings destruction. We have a disjointed relationship with God. We, we end up with dismissed requests by God. We end up with a discouraged reality apart from God. And church, we've got to be careful because bitterness and unforgiveness is one of those hidden sins of the heart that grows deep and it grows strong long before the bitter fruit ever shows on the outside. Hebrews 12 and verse number 15 reminds us, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. It's almost like a weed. Weeds are bad this time of year. The grass is brown and the weeds are green. I fertilize the grass and it dies. I pull the weeds and they grow back. Weeds are resilient. They just keep coming back. And by the way, that's what bitterness will do too. It's resilient. Sometimes it feels like that tide that you want to break free from, but it just keeps pulling you back. You got to deal with the root. You got to be willing to dig deep down and dig and deal with the heart of the issue. Because what we face in our present reality is there are going to be hurts. People will fail us. People will take advantage of us. People will talk bad about us. People will let us down. It's bound to happen. But turning hurts into bitterness and baggage is really one of the devil's favorite tactics. He admonishes the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Some of you will remember we talked about uh, the, the gentleman who was involved in really unspeakable sin with his stepmother and how Paul admonished the church to enact discipline on this man. Well, in 2 Corinthians, Paul points out the repentance of this man. And he says, to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. So Paul is speaking of forgiveness. Look what he says about forgiveness. He said, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. You see, unforgiveness and bitterness, turning hurts into bitterness and baggage is one of the devil's favorites and most effective tactics. Bitterness and unforgiveness, grudges, they allow the devil to take a problem and turn it into a prison. More than one saint has reached a place in life where they have allowed themselves to become defined by their hurt. And the devil loves to take a problem and turn it into a prison. The devil loves to take a problem, we'll point it this way too, to take a problem between a few and to turn it into a plague among many. It never fails. 
that if there's an issue between people and it's not dealt with properly, here's what happens. It doesn't stay between those people. Because eventually, uh, they, they, people talk about it to other people. And then other people form opinions and take sides and, and, and form perspectives. And, and those people, they don't keep it to themselves. They talk about it to other people. And they form opinions and take sides. And then all of a sudden, a problem among a few turns into a plague among many. And the devil is rotting us out from the inside out. Bitterness, baggage, unforgiveness allows the devil to divide and destroy. You ever recognize God loves to take many and make one? You think about marriage. God said, a man will leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. You know, we talked last week even about the church, how, how Paul wrote in Galatians that, that in Christ, he said, there, there's not Jew or Gentile, there's not bond or free, male or female, rich or poor, a black or white. There's none of that in Christ. In Christ, we are one. Isn't it amazing how God takes many and makes us one? You know, the devil wants to do just the opposite. He wants to take the unity, the oneness that God desires and pull us apart into as many pieces as possible. Hmm. But this is our present reality. It is a world full of hurt and a world full of hurting people. So how do we deal with that? How do we deal with the fact that it is a world full of hurt and a world full of hurting people? Well, look at what Paul says. Go back to verse 31. He said, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking. What does this say? Read the rest of that with me. Be put away from you with all malice. Let me show you what he says in verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God... For Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You see, Paul doesn't just leave us by pointing out our present reality. It's a world full of hurt and a world full of hurting people. And Paul also reminds us, secondly, of our personal responsibility. You know, as I read the scriptures, I find it very interesting. I find it interesting to note that God doesn't really ever spend a whole lot of time talking about how we got hurt. But God talks a whole lot, and God talks very clearly about what we're supposed to do about it. In other words, biblically, what I see is you can't always control what you're handed in life. You can't always control what they say and what they do. But you always have control over how you handle yourself and what you do with it. And by the way, there is a distinctly Christian way to handle when you're hurt. And by the way, you will answer to God for how you handle it. God deals with us as individuals. Romans 14 and verse number 2. So then every one of us shall give account of himself. Boy, I would much rather give an account for you. But I don't get to say, well, God, but you don't know what he did. 
But God, you don't know what she did. Well, God, let me. No, no, no. We're going to give account of ourselves to God. And so Paul, he does point out the present reality. But he also points out even more specifically our personal responsibility. And what are we told to do in the scripture? Very clearly, very, very simply, we are told to put away from you, to cast off, to violently reject bitterness, anger, wrath, hatred. In other words, you have to personally decide that those things have no right to take up residence in your heart. Well, preacher, you don't know what they did. And I'm not trying to downplay what they did. But neither I nor you can control what they did. And so now either we let that define us for the rest of our life, or, or we take responsibility for what we can take responsibility for. And that is ourselves. And so we have to violently reject to decide these things have no right to take up residence in our heart and to evict them. By the way, these boogers are tough to get rid of. These things will creep back in and squat before you know it. But when you catch them squatting where they don't belong, what do you do? You just throw their carcass back out on the street. And if anger creeps back in five minutes later, you throw them back on the street. And if bitterness creeps in overnight and you wake up tomorrow and you're like, oh, you throw them out. Because I can't control what they've done, but I can control what I'm going to do with it. The decision to cast out the negative and to replace it with the positive is up to you alone. I think it helps us to recognize that as a child of God, the hurt and the grudge that we carry, it doesn't belong to us. It's not mine. It doesn't belong to me. Romans 12 and verse number 19 tells us this. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. It's not my job to execute judgment. It's not my job to get retribution. That's God's job. And the reality is, he's a whole lot better at his job than I am at doing his job. And so I have to realize that hurt, that grudge, that bitterness, that unforgiveness that I am carrying, it doesn't belong to me. I have to understand then that choosing unforgiveness is a sin. As we said earlier, you cannot harbor this sin and be right with God. And I admit, sometimes it's not a one-time deal. I would love for it to be as easy as forgive and forget. And we just go on with our lives. But how many of us recognize it's not that easy? Because while I want to forget it, it just keeps coming back. So what do we do? When it creeps back in, we call it what it is and we throw it back out. And if it creeps back in, we call it what it is and we throw it back out. And we do it until it stays out. Amen? I want to point out this as well. Not only are we responsible to put off, to to violently reject bitterness, anger, wrath, and hatred. Not only are we responsible to put off unforgiveness, we are also responsible to heap on the blessing. 
So Paul says not only in this context do we put away these things from us, but then in verse 32 he goes so far as to say, and be ye kind to one another. That means we need to be like usefully good to them. Tender hearted. That means to be sympathetic. That means not only am I not to return evil, I am actively to return good. You know, Jesus tells us to do that to our enemies. Matthew chapter 5. Paul here, in essence, tells us to do the same thing to our brethren whom we have hurt with. We're not to return evil for evil, but we are to do good, to be kind, to be sympathetic to one another. You know, when we choose to do that, very often we find that we're not overcome then by a grudge, but that we can overcome a grudge with good. You know, it's really hard to hold a grudge for someone that you are actively trying to be good towards. Someone you're actively trying to be sympathetic towards for the glory of God. It's it's hard to hold a grudge against somebody you're genuinely praying for. And I'm not talking about imprecatory prayers. Lord, take out their brake lines on I-80. That's not the prayers we're talking about, all right? It's hard to hold a grudge. It's hard to hold hurt. You know, very often when we choose to be kind, to do good, to be sympathetic, to pray for, to bless, you know what happens? A lot of times when we engage that process, God really then enables us to let go. And by the way, this is the distinctly Christian response. We saw uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse number 19. The next couple of verses, Romans chapter 12 beginning in verse 20. uh, Paul uh, Paul writes this, Therefore, and if thine enemy hunger, what are we supposed to do? (laughs) Feed him. If he thirsts, what are we supposed to do? Give him to drink. For in doing so thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head. Verse 21. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Christian, I want to encourage you. Your response to the wrong that you have suffered will make all the difference. I'm not saying you weren't wronged. I'm not saying it didn't hurt. But I am saying that your response to the wrong you have suffered will make all the difference. To suffer an offense from somebody else is an event. To choose to live offended is a choice. And somebody now, well, well, preacher, well, you know, I'll try that, but they won't. Here's the thing. In the equation of forgiveness, they're not really needed. They're not. I don't need you to be on board for me to forgive you. I don't. Why? Because forgiveness is a releasing. It is a letting go. I am letting go of my right to execute judgment or demand retribution. I am letting go of that and giving it over to God. It belongs to Him, not me. So I'm letting go. So forgiveness is not between me and you. Edgar said some things to me in Spanish the other day. I didn't understand them. But I'm sure it was offensive. But here's the thing. I don't need Edgar to be on board for me to let go. For me to forgive. 
And so this whole, well, the other person, they're not even in the equation at this point. We have to understand there's some distinctions here. And I've, I've mentioned these before. I'll mention them again. Forgiveness is really between you and God. You are recognizing that the offense doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God. So I got to let go. I can't hold on to what isn't mine. That's forgiveness. I forgive you. It's not mine to execute judgment on. Now, forgiveness is different than reconciliation. See, reconciliation does take two. For Edgar and I to reconcile, I need to learn Spanish, and we need to get on the same page. Hermano. I see. That's all I know. But reconciliation does take two. But that's different than forgiveness. Forgiveness is me and God. Reconciliation, then, is me and you. And even reconciliation is different than restoration. Edgar, I'm picking on you tonight. I'll pick on you a little bit more. What if, what if Edgar, Edgar lives close to Walmart? So what if I said, Edgar, here's my credit card. I need you to buy me Pop-Tarts. Great nutrition. Love it. And so I, Edgar, Edgar brought me my Pop-Tarts, and I noticed on the receipt that uh, he also bought, he got an oil change, and uh, he bought some camping equipment. And Betty didn't even know they camped, but they do now. And uh, he bought some sports equipment. And, and Edgar bought, he bought himself some, uh, some, some good steak and some good roasts and some good chicken and some good pork. I'm still on the meat thing from this morning. So uh, we talked about meat this morning. But, um, but Edgar just handed me the thing of Pop-Tarts. And he said, I-, I was glad I could help you, brother. I say, wait a minute. What is this? Now, here's the thing. You know what? I can say, God, you got to judge him, not me. It's not mine. I'm going to let go. This thing, I'm not going to let this thing define me. So I can forgive. You know, Edgar can say, brother, I did wrong. Really, Betty made me do it. And um, <laughs> Betty made me do it. So, but, but brother, I'm sorry. I should have told her no. I should have told her no. And I can say, well, brother, it's all good. I've already forgiven you, hermano. And, uh, and we can reconcile. But you know what? Even reconciliation is different than restoration. Just because we, we got right doesn't mean I'm going to give him my credit card next time I want Pop-Tarts. Because restoration requires time and trust. And so forgiveness is different than reconciliation, is different than restoration. All of these things are different. Uh, the thing that's pressing at the moment is when we choose to hold on to hurts... I don't need the other person to make that right. I don't need the other person. They may never apologize. He may have written down my credit card number and used it on Amazon the next day. But that's okay. It's not okay. Don't do that. Don't do that. They may never apologize. But they don't have to for me to choose to forgive. We find our present reality, it is full of things that cause bitterness and wrath and anger and hatred and evil speaking. Our world is full of hurt and it's full of hurting people who hurt people. But though we find our present reality, we also find our personal responsibility. What are we called to do? We are called to violently reject allowing these things to take up residence in our heart. And we are called rather in turn to do good. 
to heap on blessing. And all of that is based on a powerful realization. Verse 32, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Read the rest of the verse with me. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. All of this is based on and made possible by a, a powerful realization that we have to have. Scripturally speaking, there is no debate. There is no discussion. We, as Christians, are called to forgive. Period. How do we know that? Well, we find it in our example. You know, this thing of forgive one another, we talked about it, it's simple to grasp, but it's not always easy to do. And I wish, I, I, I only wish that, that somewhere in the Bible we could find an example to follow. I only wish that somewhere in the Bible we could find an example to follow of, of someone who had every right to be offended, who had every right to stay distant, who had every right to build a wall, who had every right to write off their offender. But though they had every right to do so, chose to forgive instead. Hmm. You guys think we could find an example of someone like that in the Bible? I don't mean to sound insensitive. I know these matters are hard, but sometimes we have to look right at it. We have to knock off the what would Jesus do and just look at the Bible and find what Jesus did. First Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse number 21. Peter wrote, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. He was despised and rejected. He was beaten. His body was torn. But on the cross, Luke chapter 23 and verse number 34, do you remember what Jesus said? Father, forgive them, for they know not what we do. And by the way, to be like Jesus, that is still the example we are called to follow. We find our example is the Lord Jesus. We not only find Christ to be our example for forgiveness, but we find in Christ the extent of our forgiveness. Colossians 3 and verse number 13, we see this, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so do ye. Let me ask you, you see that comparison there? Even as Christ forgave. How did Christ forgive you? Hmm. Begs the question, doesn't it? How has Christ forgiven you? Well, the answer is completely. Completely. Let me ask you, what have you done that Christ continues to hold against you? Well, it's been a long time, George. We'll pick on George a little bit tonight. Well, that George Jenkinson, I know he's confessed it, but back in 1998, you know what you did. Let me ask you, to what does God still hold you hostage to? Hmm. 
Let me ask you, what could you do even today that he would not be willing to forgive you of? Man, it's a beautiful thing when it's applied to us. It's a hard thing when we're asked to apply it personally to somebody else. You know, we often want that, um, we want that rule or we want that measure. Peter, Peter had that, Matthew 18 and verse 21. Peter came and said unto him, Lord, <clears throat> how oft shall, I, shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Super spiritual Peter says, until seven times? That's, that seems pretty good. I forgive him seven times. Jesus says in verse 22, I say unto thee, uh, not, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. In other words, you're looking for a ruler to measure this thing. Just throw it away and forgive. And forgive and forgive and forgive. Forgiveness that we have received from God is the basis for the forgiveness that we extend to others. How has God forgiven us completely? How should we forgive one another? Completely. How often does God forgive us? Frequently. How often should we forgive one another? Frequently. He forgives us fully. He forgives us deeply. He forgives us perpetually and permanently. As Christ has forgiven us, we should forgive others. We find in Christ our example. We find in Christ our extent. But I'm going to tell you, we also find in Christ our empowerment. You know, some tonight are saying, you know what, preacher? It sounds great, and I wish I could. But I can't. I want to, but I can't. Here's the thing. We can't, but he can. In Christ, we are more than conquerors. In Christ, we are not victims of our circumstances. We are victors through the cross. In Christ, we are indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. In Christ, we are interceded for by the very Son of God. In Christ, we have access to the very throne of God. To find grace and mercy to help in time of need. And here's the thing about His grace. His grace is still sufficient. And that's a powerful realization. Christ is my example. Christ is my extent. Christ is my empowerment. In Christ I can. And that's important for us to understand and to hold on to and to live by because the sad truth is is that even in church we will hurt one another. And even in church we will fail one another and we will take advantage of one another and we will tear down one another. But you and I are called to forgive. To let go. To release our right to execute judgment and demand retribution. And here's the glorious truth. This is why this is so important. You say if it doesn't involve the other person, then who cares? Because the thing is, when you decide to let go and you decide to release, here's what you're really doing. 
you're setting yourself free. When we choose to let go, we are actually releasing ourselves. Tonight, we live in a world full of hurt, a world full of hurting people. And the reality is, many of us have been carrying some baggage that doesn't belong to us. You've tossed and turned, you've lost sleep. You've suffered anger, depression. You have felt helpless. You have felt hopeless. But tonight, Christ calls you to let go. To let go. Tonight, some of us, we need to take that offense. We need to release it. We need to lay it down at the feet of Jesus. We need to recognize that the right retribution doesn't belong to us. And you know what? Tomorrow you might find that you've picked it up again. But here's what you do. As soon as you find you've done that, you know what you do? You let it go again. And you let it know in no uncertain terms. You don't belong here anymore. Christian, it's not that it didn't happen. And it's not that it didn't and still doesn't hurt. And it's not that you somehow forget and it's wiped from your brain forever. But what forgiveness is is that it is by God's grace there is a way forward. And yes, it happened, but it doesn't get to define you forever. By God's grace and for God's glory, may we forgive one another.